my name is Mac Johnson. Um, I've had the privilege and the pleasure of working here uh, as an intern um, under Ryan and under the youth program. And I've been um, hanging out with some of your kids over the summer and then teaching classes, um, as many as I could get my hand on this last uh, semester. And now my wife and I are getting ready to leave to go to Poland to plant churches for the name and the sake of Jesus Christ because it's what God has put on our hearts. And, uh, you know, as it was getting close into January, I remember telling my dad, I said, hey, you know, I think I'm just going to take January pretty light, you know. And he just said, why would you do something like that? Like, if you're going to be an intern, like, you need to work up until the day that you leave. And so I was like, okay, fine. So I just took as much teaching opportunities as I could. And I said, give me the last sermon. I want the last sermon. And I'm glad I have the last sermon because the text that we have today might, might seem like it just kind of is an aside, like, it's just something that's on the edge that Luke just throws in randomly, and it's like, okay, now let's get into the good stuff, right? Last week, we talked about justification. That's a big teaching, like a really important thing for us to understand, especially those of you who are new to your faith, even, even those of you who have grown up in the church. I remember trying to understand justification as a junior high and high schooler and wrestling with what it means to be okay with God and what it meant for him to love me and to be free. And the week before that, we talked about Saul's conversion, which is just absolutely astounding. We look at who this man was and then who he becomes, and we go, that's a great story. And you want the book of Acts to be full of all of these great stories. But the stories are connected by a deeper truth. The stories aren't placed at random. Luke is sitting down and writing this letter, this book, coming off the heels of his writing of his gospel. And so he's writing with a specific focus in mind. And what I want to do today is very, very simple. I want to look at this text, and I want to actually allow you to peer into my work as I sit down with the Bible and I say, how does this, these random words that just seem like they're totally irrelevant to the 21st century, and they almost seem irrelevant even to the first century. It's just kind of an, something on the edges. And I want to show you how to actually look at the book of Acts specifically and to look at all the details and then to pull away to kind of take a step back and allow what's happening in this text to guide your thoughts as we get ready to jump into a new section of Acts. And so I if you would just turn there or you can, I don't think we will have it on the screen, but you can turn there and just follow along with me. We're going we're gonna to walk through this and try to pull out what it is that Luke is trying to do. You see, he says, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he's the son of God. Right? And we look at this text specifically and we go, okay, what would I, what would I teach my kids from that verse? What would I teach the people that I'm mentoring? What would I teach, uh, you know, uh, the people that are around me? What would I tell my life group if I just read that text? 
And we might walk away from this text saying, you know what we need to do? We just need to be more immediate. That's what we need. Because people who know Jesus, when you make an encounter with the risen Jesus, you immediately get to work. That's what you're supposed to do. And maybe we as the 21st century church just don't have the fervency anymore. Maybe we've just grown dull to hearing the voice of the Spirit. And you know what the church looks like? In the book of Acts, the church gets to work immediately. And we should do the same thing. And all of that is true. But like that's not the end of the text. That's a point. And so we can just take that idea. Let's just set it aside for the moment. Let's add that to the list of things that this is talking about. Okay, so we know that when Saul was converted, he didn't waste his time. But he immediately began to talk about his experience with Christ. Verse 21, and all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who were calling upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? You see, when someone has an actual encounter with Jesus, they immediately begin to start working. And when they immediately begin to start working, they start to confuse the people who used to know them. Right? We want this immediate conversion experience. Some of you in your life groups a couple of weeks ago were talking about this. How has your conversion experience um, shaped your understanding of the Christian life? Are you the kind of person who needs to believe that if you don't have a stark contrast, if there's not an obvious black and white difference between who you were before you met Christ and who you are now, then you didn't have a real experience with the risen Jesus. But that's not true. That's not what Acts is trying to say. What Acts is showing here is that with Saul specifically, he was a man who was going to Damascus with letters of imprisonment, and now, because Jesus got a hold of him, he is now not giving letters of imprisonment, but he is actually preaching liberation. It's a beautiful irony. But we don't all need this just stark contrast of, man, I was, I was dealing black tar heroin, and now all of a sudden I'm singing in the Sunday choir. It doesn't have to be like that. In fact, I hope for most of us it's not like that. I actually wish that those of you who are growing up in the church that you all experience what it's like to have mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters who are always teaching you what it's like to follow Jesus. And for most of you, I really hope you don't have a stark contrast because that means the Holy Spirit has been at work in your lives for a long time. And that's something to praise God about. And so let's add that to the list of things we see in the text. Okay, so we see there's this immediate need to want to respond in a natural way to who Jesus is and what happens when we meet him. And there should be an obvious difference in our lives to those who are around us. Isn't that the guy who was kind of a jerk in high school? Isn't that the guy who used to be kind of shady in his business practices? Isn't that the mom who used to find her worth and value and how well she had been perceived to have raised her kids. Yeah, they should look at us and go, man, something's different. But that's not like the main point of what Luke is trying to say here. Verse 22 comes the first marker where if you, if you kind of just read over it, you feel it 
as it happens. And this is something I want, to, want us to draw attention to. In verse 22 it says, But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. That, ah, there's the key. That's what we need to do as the 21st century. You know what we don't do enough? Apologetics. We don't go around and try to upset the social and cultural norms enough. We're not rough enough against the society because we're all weak Christians. We don't have the fervency of the first century church. We don't have the fire. We don't have the Holy Spirit, you mean? We don't have that? No, if you pay attention, feel the text. Can you feel Luke kind of pull back a little bit? He kind of digs around in the dirt and plays with the details, right? And then in the book of Acts, you feel this in several places. He kind of just digs and builds a sandcastle, and then he just kind of takes a look back and goes, yeah, hey, this is what's happening. Pay attention to those moments, because those are the moments I want to capitalize on today, and I want to bring out what this means for us. So listen to how he talks about it. Saul increased in strength and confounded the Jews because he was teaching about the Christ. That kind of sounds like, that kind of sounds like Jesus. That sounds like I'm reading Luke again, like I'm reading the gospel again. So put that to the side, but remember that piece. Continuing, verse 23, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. That sounds a lot like Jesus. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Now, if this was an Old Testament text, we would talk about how such a strong faith, do you have the faith to drop your friend out of a wall, right? We would come up with a cool, catchy thing like living in baskets. That would, that's what we would call this sermon, living in baskets. Are you living a life that's just so dangerous to the culture that you're in that you need to be lowered in baskets from all the cities that you're preaching the gospel to, right? That's kind of cool. That's kind of edgy. We could make a podcast about that. You know, catch a lot of people on the internet. Oh, whoa, what is it? Why is this guy living in a basket? Well, it's a metaphor. Yeah, that's actually not the purpose here. It's, an, it's something on the side. And so Saul's conversion has made him look like the church, and it's made him look like Jesus, and now he's actually being treated kind of like Jesus was. And he has to escape kind of like Jesus did from the people that he was speaking to because his message and the cultural message didn't, didn't see eye to eye. Verse 26. When he had come to Jerusalem, he was a, they were, a, excuse me, when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them, how on the road he had, pay attention to this, he had seen the Lord. He had seen him. He had literally seen Jesus with his own eyes. The only apostle, he, Paul says later, as one untimely born. But just like all the other apostles, I saw him with my own eyes. How he had seen him and then he 
how he had spoken to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. See, maybe that's what this sermon, maybe that's what we should be talking about. Maybe we should be talking about how when you meet Jesus and you see him metaphorically, when you see him in the scriptures, then there's a sudden transformation that happens in you. And when that transformation takes full effect, then, then your life just looks different because of seeing Jesus. And we should have people, this is what it should be about. We should, we should know that we're doing that because we have people around us. Our wives, our kids, our friends, our coworkers, people around us should be able to come to those who don't believe and say, no, 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 no. They've met Jesus. Maybe that's what we should have. We should be so integrated as a community that everyone around us should be able to say, Mac Johnson has met the risen Jesus Christ because who he was and who he is now is so different and that he is so okay to talk against the cultural norms that he's willing to be rough with society and that he's, will, being, or he's willing to be thrown out of a wall through a basket. Barnabas is a good friend, no doubt. But Barnabas isn't really the purpose here. And in verse 28, he says, So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. I love that. Barnabas has so much character that when he goes to the church, he says, Hey, no, 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 Saul is actually on our team now. And then all of a sudden, Luke doesn't even care to record all the cool conversations that would have happened after that. Right? Like, we would have recorded all the conversations. Oh, what did, what, did Peter, what did Peter say? All of those disciples who when Saul had said okay to Stephen's martyrdom, what was the conversation like when the friends of Stephen, maybe the other six men who were supposed to be serving alongside him, taking care of the Hellenistic uh, women in the Jerusalem church, what did the other six have to say to Saul? That's what we would write. But Luke's not interested in that. Luke just moves on quickly. Verse 29, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Again, you see this. Listen, listen. This is the same kind of language that we saw previously. It's a repetition. Because it's trying to get you to think about what is about to come next. It's trying to catch your attention. When the Bible repeats itself, it's trying to say something. It's kind of like when you're trying to talk to your kids or kids when you, your parents are talking to you and they say, hey, son, listen. And then the second time they say, hey, son, listen. The second one means a little bit more than the first. We don't just repeat ourselves for fun. We repeat ourselves with purpose. Again, verse 29 tells me that Saul looks a lot like Jesus now. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Again, Saul looks like Jesus in a city. The city tries to kill him. The disciples send him away. Maybe that's what our lives need to look like. Maybe that's what we should be focusing on. Ah, but there's verse 31. Maybe this is the point. So... See that? It's, it's almost as if Luke says, and the result of which is. 
It's almost as if Luke says, and everything that I've just said previously, I'm pointing you to this moment. I want you to pay attention to what I've said, but this is where I'm guiding your thoughts. This is where I need you to hone in. And he says, so, so the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria. Do you remember Acts 1? What is the mission of the book of Acts? Well, Jesus tells us at the very beginning, the mission that the apostles are on in the book of Acts is to take the gospel from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Did you notice how Luke uses specific language to show you that that mission, at least the first three parts, have now been completed? You see that? And so, he says this, summarizing the entire first nine chapters of the book. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Ah, that feels good. That feels right. That the church, when it does what it's supposed to do and when it loves the people it's supposed to love and when believers individually and collectively as a group do what the Spirit wants them to do, then we feel at peace and are comforted by His presence. And guess what? The natural result will be that it will be multiplied. See, in this section, I just want it to be very clear. This isn't like a game. This is like teaching. That Luke shows us in this specific section his goal for the book. He's showing us that the purpose of this book is not Saul. The purpose of the book is not how good of a friend Barnabas is. The purpose of the book, hear me. The purpose of the book isn't even to show you how you need to live like the heroes. It's not what this is. It's, an, it's a partial thing you can dig out, but that's not what Luke is writing for. Luke is writing to show you one specific thing, and that thing is that when you take out the names in this book, you can literally insert Jesus and you should have a fifth gospel. Because this is all the work that Jesus is doing. This is all the work that Jesus wants done. It's not about Saul. It's not about Peter. It's not about any of these people individually. No, this is about the only one who really can do what we need him to do. This whole book is about Jesus, and you see that because Luke uses these two summary statements describing Saul as he described the church, and describing the church being multiplied because it follows Christ. And the message is that this whole thing is actually about Jesus. Which makes me uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable because... When I read the book of Acts, what I do when Saul is converted is I go, now I must be like Saul. Right? Like you've read the book of Acts and you go, man, Saul's amazing. And some of you parents, you want to point out to your kids, hey, you need to be like Saul. You need to obey the Jerusalem council. And in this house, I am the Jerusalem council. You need to be listening to me and my authority. Right? Or as church planters, we look at the book of Acts and we go, man, that's exactly how we're going to do church. We just did a podcast about this. 
You can find those things, but that's not the purpose of these things. You see, when I look at Saul's story, remember a couple weeks ago when Jim said, Saul's conversion isn't about Saul? Yeah, that's still true. And when I ask the question, why would God save someone like Saul? You know what answers I come up with? I come up with all the historical and cultural information that I know from Saul's life and Saul's background. Did you know that he was educated in Tarsus, one of the cultural and um, religious and philosophical schools of the ancient world? That's like the Harvard. That's like the Oxford. That's the Cambridge. He's a genius. He knew ancient Hebrew and probably knew three or four, was most likely very acquainted with Latin, probably absolutely knew Greek. He knew Hebrew, and he probably would have spoken Aramaic. He was a Jew of Jews, right? He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's an absolute genius, He knew the great Greek philosophers. He knew Plato and Aristotle and was well acquainted with their work. He knew Philo. He knew all these people who were the philosophical ideals of their society. He knew all that. Maybe God chose him because he's smart. Or maybe God chose him because he had the right in with the people. Right? I mean, who better to explain Christ's movement from the Old Testament than a Pharisee? That's why God chose him, because of what he could do with him. And what Paul would do and what Saul would do with Jesus, that's why he chose him. And when we take that lens on Scripture, specifically with the book of Acts, what we do is we actually say, God saved Saul because of all the good things Saul can do with God. Do you think God saved you like that? Do you think that God saved you because of something that you can do? Do you think that God saved you because of all the great work that you're going to do? Because you share some special qualities with people like Saul or because you're a certain kind of individual that should be saved because of how special you are? Not me. Right? Not, I'm not that way. God didn't need to save me because Mac Johnson had something to offer God. No, God chose him because he chose him. In fact, Paul, looking back on this moment, says God chose me to show the power of God. Not the benefits of Saul. Saul thinks he literally has absolutely nothing to offer. And guess what? He doesn't. He has nothing to offer God. And neither do you. God doesn't need us. God doesn't need Mac Johnson to be a great orator and a phenomenal teacher. He doesn't need me who grew up under the regime of the Johnson household to be able to come out and be so strong and resilient and lead my wife like a man, right? Like, he didn't pick Mac because of all the things that Mac Johnson can do. No, he picked me because he loves me. And he picked you because he loves you. God chose Saul not because of all the good things that Saul will do, but to show his power in someone so far away. See, Saul is the perfect representation of someone who knew how to get out of the way. That's what we need to understand. Saul's conversion is about someone who knew how to get out of the Holy Spirit's way, metaphorically, and who knew how to partner with the Spirit. And I want to draw a a quick distinction. When you pay attention to Saul's conversion, 
he uses his actual conversion metaphorically throughout the rest of his letters to describe how you become like Christ. Right? We want the key to transformation. We want the key to maturity. We want the key to unlock this radiant life of Christ that can just emanate out of us in the whole world so that we can become the kind of people who look like this. We want that. We want the specific answer. And we go to really bad ideas like maybe our church should look certain ways or, or maybe I need to just do more try hard kind of gospel. And Paul says no. You need to actually reflect on, on my story. Think about my story. Here's what happens in Paul's story. Is that he sees Christ. Christ is the only thing in all of existence that has the power to literally change things that can see him. Do you understand that? Look at something and tell me if you become it. Can you look at your shoes and become a shoe? Can you look at a podium and become a podium? No. Can you look at a TV personality? Can you look at a singer? Can you look at a philosopher? Can you look at a scientist? Can you look at a teacher? Can you look at your brothers and your parents? Can you look at people and become like them? Yeah. There's something divine about what you set your eyes on that transforms us, especially when that thing pairs the image of God. And, and when, where we get this wrong is when we look at broken people to be Jesus to us, and what we really need is not to look at Jim Johnson and for Mac just to be like Jim Johnson, but for Jim Johnson to point Mac to Christ so that Mac meditates on the things that are above. You see, all the transformation language that goes on in, in Paul's letters are showing you that when you actually set your eyes, which is a metaphor, when you set your eyes on Christ, which probably looks more like this than like this, that that act actually, hear me, actually changes who you are. And that is not a work of your own doing, but the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the kind of being, that is the person that we worship. The one who, when you meditate on, he makes you look like him. That's transformation. And so what I want to point out today is that transformation comes to those who set their eyes on Christ. And God does his work in us. And that's our transformation. He does that. With our help sometimes, sometimes it feels like the Holy Spirit's just dragging you along and you're tied to a rope to a horse. And sometimes it feels like you're just standing in one place and you have absolutely no idea what the Holy Spirit's doing with your life. But let me add one thing to, to the truth behind this text. We think that the way that Luke set it up, he makes you want to think that this all happened in a weekend. Do you know how long this text, in terms of length of years, how long this text is? 17 years. 17 years long. 
right? We look at this and we go, man, we need immediate transformation right now. I want to be like Jesus and I just need it and put it in a microwave and then throw it in the oven for just a couple of simmering hours and then we're just going to pull that right out and bam, you're Jesus in a weekend. No, that's why you've got to read the whole Bible. Go back and look at Galatians. Saul didn't do that. Saul was in several areas. Saul didn't come down and be accepted in Jerusalem until 14 years after, three years after he was in Jerusalem for the first time. We need to stop only, hear me, only looking at our Christian lives in a matter of weekends. That's not how God does most things most of the time. What it should look like is the transformation that happens in me should be like the gospel of my life. It should be as if someone wrote down my narrative, if someone wrote down my story. I'm like just barely over 17. This is like a long process. This is the big picture. This is the overarching, unstoppable mission of the Holy Spirit in his church. That's what's happening here. So we're looking big picture. And when I zoom out big picture, you see God is at work in us and we meditate on him. And then you see, this is also important, don't lose this. It's not just about personal transformation, but you are responsible to get to work. We're not going to jettison that point of the text. No, both are true. God does a work in us by meditating on who Jesus is. He transforms us into his image. And then guess what? That image actually goes and does things. That image gets to work. That person who by all accounts is more Jesus than Mac, is more Jesus than Saul, that person goes to work with God. Our transformation when we are justified with God is what transforms us. Our meditation on who Christ is is what transforms us. And then the transformation, the natural result of our conversion story is you and I getting to work. And man, you could have like 15,000 sermon series on what it looks like to get to work for God. What I want to just give you today is just a couple of things so you can understand that this is supposed to be taken in big, sweeping strokes. It's this simple. You listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Right? You love that answer. It really is that simple. If we've lost something in the 21st century, it's that we don't teach people how to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit very well. At least I don't. Maybe I can't speak for everyone, but I don't know if, like kids, you all should be taught how to discern the voice of the Spirit from your parents. And and if your parents haven't taught you how to discern the voice of the Spirit and you're leading on your life, then... Parents, like we need to do a better job of teaching our kids how to discern the voice of the Spirit. Because that's the work that we get into. You see, you're not supposed to be a Saul. You're not supposed to be anybody other than who you are. And the Holy Spirit, I love this, he works individually through all of us. That's why I'm going to Poland. 
Because the spiritual mentors in my life taught me how to discern the voice of the Spirit. You have to listen to him. And this is what Luke is trying to say. Is that when you look at who Jesus is, and you allow yourself to be transformed, that your work will be the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Not in Saul's life. You get to see what that looked like through Saul. But do you think the Holy Spirit only works in like Saul type ways? No. My challenge to you, what I want you to be thinking about and what I want you to have conversations about is that if you looked at everything that you've ever done at the end of your life, if you looked at everything you did from the start of high school to the end of high school, if you looked at everything that you did from middle school to junior high, if you looked at everything you did from when you started that job to when you left it, from the beginning of college to the end of college, from being at, the, at, being at Sunnybrook Christian Church to when you leave Sunnybrook Christian Church, if someone wrote down all the things that you did, could they take out your name and put in Jesus? That will tell you if the Holy Spirit is living and active in your life. And I'm grateful that that is true for my life. It is nothing that I have earned. It is nothing that I have, sometimes it feels like I'm even working against it. But it is the grace of God in the lives of the people who say that they love him that allows that to be true. I'm going to ask the servers to go ahead and go, and I'm going to pray as we get ready to focus our attention on communion. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the truth found in your word for the transforming power of your spirit and for the big picture that those who love you work with you in the unstoppable mission of God. I pray you focus our attentions as we participate in Christ's sacrifice. As in your son's holy and precious name we pray, amen.